Leading a team means supporting the growth of every individual's skills, knowledge, and experience. But you don't have to do it alone. With Ministry of Testing Pro Teams, you'll have a wealth of content and training to take advantage of, including access to online test bash events, weekly online 99-minute workshops, online courses, and all our previous test bash and masterclass videos to watch. All of which you can track and manage through team learning history and pro license management. So invest in your team with discounts of up to 25% for multiple team licenses and go pro with Ministry of Testing. Welcome to TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected TestSphere cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. Hello and welcome to episode two of TestSphere Roulette. I'm your host, Simon Pryor, and I have two guests with me today, which I'll get them to introduce themselves now, starting with Hannah. Yeah, I'm Hannah Schlander, and I work as a quality catalyst at Jayway. And uh, I've been working with testing for uh, almost 10 years now. Excellent. Anything interesting to share with everybody about yourself? I just got married. I was about to say, I believe you recently got married. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. Good. Excellent. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, Russell? Hi, Simon. Uh, hi, Hannah. Um, yeah, I'm Russell Cruxford. I'm the head of quality management for Cicasa, consultancy business. And I guess an interesting fact about me is I'm very good at writing off cars at low speed. So far, I think I've written off three cars under 20 miles an hour every time. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> reminders never to get in the car with you, Russell. If I drive fast, you're fine. It's <laughs> when I drive slow, you've got to be worried. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Brilliant. So, yeah. Okay, well, just to give you a bit about the uh, the format, um, I'm going to spin the, the roulette wheel shortly and we'll get our first card. It can be any card from the TestSphere deck, including the expansion pack. So um, there's up to 160 cards we could get get from the spin. So um, if you're ready for the first spin, I will spin the wheel. Are we all ready? Yes. All right, yeah. let's spin the Do wheel. It. Okay, it's landed on a Patterns card, um, which is an orange card, and it's Curse of Knowledge. Knowing a lot of things can make it very hard for you to be put in a situation where you know a lot less. It becomes increasingly more difficult to look at a product with fresh perspective the longer you work on it. How does that resonate? Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that is very true. I mean, it's always uh, interesting in the project when you do get a fresh pair of eyes into it, because it's tricky not to get blind uh, with software that you've worked with for a long time. Yeah, agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, confirmation bias comes into it quite often that you see the things that you know about nothing else. You get blinded. But it could be something as simple as onboarding to a new project. You think it's really easy because you know all the project inside out, but you don't see others. Um, you don't see the details, the lack of information. Uh, yeah, I think knowledge is really powerful. So what can you do to reset that cash then effectively in your own brain with uh, when you're working on a project like that? So to me, I'd probably try with personas, try and pretend or like deliberately focus my mind as trying to be somebody else. Like what would happen if I was new? What would happen if I was um, a blind person trying to navigate this website? So use accessibility testing and tools to do it. So I try and take on 
a different angle to look at it. But it's hard to give yourself that time to do that often. That's why you kind of continue down those bad paths often. That, that's very true. Uh, I'm lucky enough in my project, well, lucky, but we do get new people quite often. So every now and again, you're sort of forced uh, to go through things. And then it's quite obvious which parts are not as clear as you thought they were. And uh, also, yeah, with the instructions not being good. Uh, but yeah, the personas part sounds really good as well. That could probably be useful for anyone to do. And would that be a recommendation then from a from a quality perspective? It would make sense that people don't stick on the same project for for a significant longer time, significantly long time. Um, yeah, because you do end up missing stuff. You do end up not seeing a different perspective. Even if you're trying with personas, if you've worked on it for ten years, you're going to make assumptions, right? That things are not 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 the Definitely. way they actually are. So yeah, you can try other things like I think Hannah mentioned that ask other people to come and give you their perspective, to come in and have a look and see if you're doing something odd or unusual, get a fresh pair of eyes. I mean, it's rotating on projects, but it can be quite smaller things. You don't have to be insular and uh, only get testers working on, say, the front end to look at the front end. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, for us, being in a DevOps project is quite good because we have external people being on it as well. Uh, so that's also quite often, if you just notice a small thing that they've seen, uh, or they report one error, and then you're like, oh, there's a whole nest of them there that we just haven't thought of. Uh, so it's good with users as well, because they do tend to do what you don't. That's that's true. That, that is a very good point. I mean, especially when you're involving users, there's, there's always an opportunity that your assumptions that they're going to use it in a certain way are just completely blown out of the water. Um, yeah, I, I found myself uh, on projects where I, I my one of my first testing roles. I was on the I was on the testing for that that project for a good six years, and it was very difficult to try and think of things that I hadn't thought of previously. And it was a case of, as you said, Hannah, going using the users in some respect to see how actually they're going to use it. You know, what customer data can we see? What what can we see in, in the way it's being used? And then try and adapt our thinking. And we did evolve our testing quite a lot in that time frame because we had to. Um, to try and make sure that we were no longer just running tests that we'd always run because they're the ones we can think of. Um, so, yeah. It is. I would also say like having good monitoring and like looking into the logs is a really good way to get a picture of how the system is actually used, which is something we work a lot with in my project. So one of the other things, I guess, we haven't talked about in this sort of area is how do we get ideas so we, well, we talked about sort of customers and other perspective but i meant in terms of when we do hear things about oh a customer uses this way how can we be not dismissive of it because it's very easy to get that tunnel vision um and to go oh well no one would ever do that and that sort of attitude and try and keep the open flow of communication so that actually when you do get information from customers from logs from other things you don't distrust it you actually build this trust that you will experiment you will try and learn from them you will give it a go see what actually happens and just be open to the customer feedback no matter what your role tester developer anybody else and just trial it and then share your learnings because you can run an accessibility tool for example on your website and find out it's terrible and then okay that's a trigger maybe that others should be doing something similar in your company that maybe don't and that sort of thing so you've got to share the share the love yeah, Absolutely. I, would, I would totally agree. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Anything else anyone wants to add on this one? 
I'm saying the shaking nope. of heads nope. as a no. Okay. Doesn't work so well on the podcast, does it? Shaking no, it doesn't work well for the podcast. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Let's move on to the next card then. So we're going to spin the wheel again. Sense your excitement. Okay, <laughs> it's landed on a green techniques card. Boundary testing. Focus on the extremes of the input range, minimum, maximum, and just beyond. Now, this is obviously one of the uh, more common techniques that are mentioned whenever you talk about testing techniques. So, where do we start? Is it something you're actively using? Yeah, uh, from time to time. Uh, we've had a few where you it's the normal thing where it's higher than and equals, uh, or like it's just that little part that tends to be missed sometimes. So I tend to do this a lot just to check that the developers are thinking correctly. Yeah. yeah. It's still an area that people get wrong often when building software, and it's still an area that requires us to be validating and checking around. There's a, a website where I'm for a tunnel crossing near where I live, and they've set it so that you have to pay by one minute past midnight. So the date says tomorrow, like the date it was today, we say tomorrow and one minute past midnight. So everyone sees that date and tries to pay that day, but actually they've already passed the date for cutoff. <laughs> because they've only got one minute on that day to actually do it. It's just that sort of thing. It's like, okay, you, you midnight is normally like 23.59, not 0001. If you want someone to pay that, it just changes the date. So it's still a very common problem. And I think we have to, to do it. Dates, uh, values, everything else that you have to pick from. People get it wrong quite often. Yeah. It's a good thing to, to have on your checklist of things to test. I mean, you would hope that this is tested in unit tests, uh, ultimately. But uh, yeah, if you trust your developers a lot, uh, perhaps that's the case. But it's always good to double check as well yeah. when it's out. Just because it tested doesn't mean the right outcome is delivered. If that makes sense. Because um, <laughs> it could be, it could literally be specified as um, a different range, and sometimes you've got to check the requirement more than anything else. Yeah, I I always almost uh, almost always uh, check uh, the maximum amount of uh, like characters allowed as well. Yep. Uh, it's a classic where it's well sometimes missed. So of course you end up with applications where there's really weird names on things, but yeah, that's just the world of testing, isn't it? It is definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I've... What, coming from a cybersecurity background, we used to do a lot of work around um, buffer overflows and integer overflows, and, and trying to trying to force that you know absolute top value for, for for things to try and make sure that if things went back down to the, the lowest number again, that it didn't cause detections to happen or, or other things within the, the, the security world. So it's it's one of the most basic things to, to be testing for, but it's it's probably for me still one of the most important things that should be checked. Um, and it's so easily missed as well, like you said. Uh, if if the, if the developers aren't doing it as part of their unit tests, um, an assumption can be made that that level of testing has been covered. And and it's yeah, it's an interesting one. Have we got any horror stories um, of when a boundary test has been 
or a boundary testers founder a particular error? I know you mentioned yours, Russell, but is there any others that particularly stand out? Not really. I remember a debate with a tester once who said they tested kind of a boundary in the UI and it was fine, but then hadn't checked that actually the data was persisted to the database or anywhere else. So it kind of truncated it. Uh, and it, I think the database had something like five characters for a name. <laughs> but the UI, you could enter anything. It was fine. It's like you've missed part of the point there. It's not just about what you can enter. It's about what's stored as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's about the worst as I've seen, I think. Yeah, that's a good point to actually check that the value is getting entered correctly. I mean, it could very well be, uh, we've had a few times in UIs uh, before we got the front-end sort of validation in as well, where you could enter value in the UI and you don't really see a visual response. But if you look in the developer log, you'll see, oh, there was a 400 error because it was actually the wrong format or too long. Uh, and uh, that wasn't restricted from the UI point of view. So of course, it's easier if you restrict users from putting in a value that's not valid rather than throw, throwing an error at them afterwards. There's always a boundary somewhere at some point for something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even if the requirement says, oh, yeah, let me put anything in. <laughs> Don't want that either. No, agreed. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the one that sticks out for me is I remember um, I bought tickets for a, a gig or something once, and it was quite early on in the um, before, before sort of everything was online. Um, and I bought a seat number and I think I went for like seat 400 of the row that was in the stadium. Um, and actually the seats only went up to 399. So there shouldn't have been a seat 400 on the list, but the, the, the value had gone from zero to, they put it from one to 400 rather than zero to 399 or, or whatever it was that they'd, they'd mixed the boundaries up. And, you know, me being the tester, I went right to the far end and, and ended up buying a seat that wasn't actually there. Um, which thankfully they emailed back and said, yeah, yeah, I think there's been an error here. You've ordered a seat. We don't have that seat. Um, but it went through. It, well, the whole thing went through. And then um, they had to respond quickly after and say, we've reassigned your seat to number this. So, At least they spotted yeah. it. Which is yeah, good. they had some kind of monitoring. Turn open and... <laughs> yeah, but if you have monitoring on it, surely you should Exactly, just... you should <laughs> resolve it. Um, <laughs> Lock yeah. it earlier. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. Um any other thoughts on on boundary testing? I'm just reading some of the examples here. It says, uh, during calculations, programmers run the risk of confusing less than, greater than, equals, less than and equals, greater than and equals. It's interesting to test around the borders to uncover just which symbols they used. So I guess there's a thing there with uh, actually seeing the code and seeing what they've developed in as well and then trying to prove the testing and, and questioning the, the, the greater than or equal signs. Yeah. Yeah, Re reading the documentation and seeing if it matches the Absolutely, code is yeah. always a good thing to share. Yeah. There's a lot of validation that can be done at that level. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. Well, we're rattling through these, um, but let's um, let's move on to number three. Maybe we'll get a card here that might elicit um, further conversations. Okay. Let's spin the wheel then. Okay, I've got the card. It's purple, which is feelings. Curious, probably a, a, a top feeling for a tester. Something unknown has caught your eye and you can't help but investigate. Your app is almost done and just now you discover the accessibility, accessibility settings on your iPhone. 
So, I'm sure we could talk for hours about curiosity, but what first comes to mind when you uh, when you hear that term? I mean, for me, it's the single most important thing. What well, quality in a tester is uh, curiosity, because it's the key to actually going a bit beyond like what happens if I put this in or if I put that in. It's it's always the case of putting like uh, we had the fun or well I put things in our one of our UIs I put some Chinese characters because that seemed like a good idea uh, actually not possible to remove it <laughs> from the data <laughs> well because the the delete. <laughs> didn't actually support the Chinese characters because all of a sudden it was in a path variable instead of in a mm. post body. So, well, the developers had to manually go into the database and remove it. Uh, so that's always <laughs> fun to do. Yeah, it can cause complications, curiosity, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is the most important, I guess, trait of testers out there, the ability to wonder what if and to be curious and to explore and to to look at technologies, to look at tools, to look at the system under test, all those sort of areas. And you can get into trouble. I think the one thing with curiosity, it has to come with sort of control. Mm. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm sad old test manager with this, but we've got you've got to control that curiosity because you can go off on tangents for a long time. Um, and you can explore something that isn't that relevant or isn't that important if you don't have a quick conversation to validate it is, you know, accessibility is a legal requirement in most areas and most sites. So, you know, that's an important one, but um, browsers, I've had people do lots of testing on the browser that actually the product owner said, we don't care if it supports that browser in the end. And so if you have that conversation up front, yeah. you could save yourself. Yes, you're curious how it works. How bad is the experience? But, you know, you need yeah. to have some, um, you need to quantify uh, it to a degree. Um, but yeah, you definitely want the people that go, hmm, what, hmm, if I do this, what happens if I hit the keyboard with my hand? What happens if I turn it off and on? What happens if I open up two browsers and try and log in? Yeah. What happens if I double-click the buttons instead? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I right-click? Yeah, agreed. And I, I, I can think of hundreds of scenarios where you know that curiosity has pushed me down a rabbit hole that I probably shouldn't have spent too much time in, but it was fun for that moment that I I wanted to investigate further. And surely there's something in here that I need to I need to uncover. And then you talk to someone afterwards and go, oh, yeah, that, that browser is only used by, you know, 0.3% of our user base. Or are we, the, the, the language variant for, for Hungarian only has 10 users, in the, in, you know, rather than the, the millions that you, English has. So it's it's not as it's not as prevalent. We're not too worried. But, you know, it's still that tester in me wants to fight for every single user, not just that, the, the, mm-hmm. the masses. Um so it is, yeah. It forced you to have that conversation, though, didn't it? It forced you to have it the does, conversation. Exactly. So actually, Hungarian is yeah. not the most prevalent market for us. Yeah. Or um, this browser is going out of date soon, so we're not going to actually invest anything in supporting it. Yeah. So if you found a bug, we wouldn't fix it. Oh, okay. But at least you had that conversation. Otherwise, you could be missing something entirely. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. But so. well, I mean, it, I think it, uh, curiosity is, of course, a key to like any sort of. Uh, role as well because if you're curious you're probably going to learn more about the product and everything uh, it's not just for testers although for testers it's like the key thing mm. here's a question for you how do you inspire curiosity in others how do you encourage it 
That is a very good question. Uh, and, and it's yeah. something that I was about to ask you, Russell. But as as you've asked me, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, Mister. Yeah, it is. It's that. It's that. How do you? How do you? How do you uh, find curiosity? How do you look for it? How do you get people to be engaged? I think it, is, it comes down to that. That you have to find a way to engage them. You have to find a way to make them passionate about what they're doing, um, and that then opens up that curiosity. Um, yeah. I think it's sort of also a trait that you're either like either born with or don't have at all. I mean, fair enough, you can always like encourage it a bit, but it's pro- if you're curious, you've probably always been like a curious person who's tried really anything you can. Yeah. Uh, whenever. I mean, it's the same sort of person who. Well, I think quite a lot of us testers actually like take the time to fill in feedback forms or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. mean, I know yeah, I do. Absolutely. I tend to email if I see <laughs> weird things anywhere. It's just a little bit of a curse with the with the role, really. Yeah, I think it is an interesting one because I think people engage with different things and people are curious about different things. So I might find an automation engineer curious about the next automation framework, whereas I might find someone who's more prevalent with um, customers, perhaps more curious about how customers use it. I think finding the right triggers for the right people and helping them kind of find the motivation, the engagement with the thing helps keep the curiosity going and using people's natural curiosity to the advantage. You're right, testers, I hope, certainly the ones I look for, have a curious mindset in general, but there's definitely different things. And I guess gamifying some things to a degree, um, encouraging that sort of curiosity. Um, So, you know, not punishing people for having new ideas making sure you give them time to do proof of concepts, um, to experiment. So you nurture um, the sort of curiosity rather than dampen it. There can be, I certainly worked in places where curiosity is kind of discouraged, I think is the best way. And as a tester, I want to encourage it in my teams. I want want them to go and figure out some random new things. I want them to do something and find out, yeah, it wasn't useful, but they did it and they enjoyed it. You know, that Hungarian language situation we just mentioned, that could have been really useful, engaged them, made them a bit more passionate and started something else off. So I think, you know, we've got to encourage that curiosity and as um, leaders at times, we don't we don't always listen and hear the things that make our people curious. And I think we've got to do more to do that, to help, to engage them, to find out what makes them tick. Yeah. For sure. And I think it could be different settings where curiosity might not be as uh, well encouraged, which is, well, I used to work in med tech where you had quite a lot of specifications and it was so requirement focused and standard focused just to like take that off that it really did not leave that much space for like exploring and being curious. I mean, fair enough, the standard felt like it covered like the whole world pretty much, but it's still it it constrains you a bit in your curiosity where there's so much other stuff to to do it just i think it's easy to forget those parts really yeah i think you're right and i think um another area that it comes back to for me is um you know tools for for your testing as well is there are a plethora of tools out there there there's more than you can you can shake a stick at but curiosity is the way that you find the ones that you want to want to play with and want to use and if you don't take that time to be a little bit curious and try it out then then you're never going to find out if there is a tool out there that works for you and 
as Russell said, it is about embedding that time or as a leader, finding the way of giving your team that time to to carve out time to, to be curious, whether it be a new tool or whether it be those edge cases that they really want to dive into a bit further or they've identified some new exploratory testing areas that they want to focus on for the next for the next product. So yeah, it's uh, it's crucial that they try and uh, we try and in, in encourage curiosity where possible. Yeah, absolutely. And the other question there is around, you know, when you're hiring, you know, it's how do you look for curiosity? What would you do to try and ensure the person you're hiring is curious? I mean, I would think that a curious person would ask quite a lot of questions during the interview because, well, being curious, of course, that's the natural thing to do. If it's just a quiet person who doesn't say anything, doesn't take any interest, asking anything about like the, what it's like working there, I don't think they're going to be that curious in the work. Yeah, I think that's definitely one way of doing it. Um, you can see a lot from the sort of questions that people ask, definitely. I think the other one is seeing their kind of background, what they've done. You know, Do they talk about experiments? Do they talk about trying things? Do they talk about kind of going down rabbit holes? Um, do, they talk, do they share those sort of stories, I guess? Um, and you know, do they show that sort of curious mindset? So I guess the questions that let them go off the piste a little bit to kind of share their journeys and how they figured out things and how they stumbled across problems or something like that. So it's not too fixed, I think, help. But yeah, people with passion, people with kind of that look for other things, looking for new knowledge, looking for new skills, you know, why they're looking to leave, those sorts of things. They just go, because you're, you're probably not on the path to a curious person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, um, I have certainly worked with people that, that were highly curious and I've also worked with people that... Um, wanted to get into the role of testing, but didn't really know what it was. And the curiosity kind of stopped as soon as they got into the role, almost it felt like. So yeah, it definitely is a, as a way of, um, it needs to be something that's, that's that you look for and also encourage along the way as well. So good. Yeah. I mean, it has to be people who want to do it. So sort of. I, I used to work with a team of like, we were a testing team, but most people were actually developers who didn't want to test. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's like just not a good setting. Um, yeah, <laughs> because they're just bored and not going to want to explore. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like the world, they're like, can we get something else to do? We want to code. Yeah, this testing lark's boring. Can I do some more coding? Yeah, I've I've, I've certainly been in that situation as well. It's a yes, it's a challenge. You mentioned something, Simon, that's quite useful, um, which is kind of encouraging people into testing. Those people often show a lot of curiosity about what the field is, what the job is of the drive to get into the field. Yes, it may stop when they get in there, but I guess that's the challenge to find the ones that it will continue. That is not just, I want a different job. It is, I, I really find this interesting. I'm really curious, how can I be better at it? And then obviously us um, people giving them opportunities, helping them, uh, encouraging them and letting that nurture that curiosity again, I guess. But yeah, there's a lot of people out there that come into the field that invest a lot of their own time. There's a lot of good curious people in those groups. Absolutely agree. Yeah, totally. Okay, good. Um, well, thank you for taking part in the three in the three cards. Um, I think we've had some useful discussion. I've certainly learned some new some new things from from both of you. Um, did either of you have anything that you've got coming up or or wanted to plug um, while you're on the podcast? Start with you, Russell. Sure. So. Uh, I guess I've got two little plugs, really. Um, so there's a, another podcast, if you like this podcast, that myself and Simon are involved in, called The Testing Peers. 
where we like to talk about testing. Feel free to listen to us um, if you like this. Um, thank you. And the other one is um, we at Segeza are currently looking for testers, software developers, engineers in test, estets, uh, testers at various different levels. Um, so if you're interested, please uh, reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn or you might be able to find our website. Cool. And I'll put a link to your LinkedIn and your your social media sites in, uh, in the show notes. Hannah, anything from you? Thank you? Yeah, we're also looking for, well, testers, developers, designers, uh, Janeway. Uh, of course, we're based in Sweden, but if you're interested, you can also hook me up on LinkedIn and get in touch. Awesome. Thank you, Hannah. Lots of opportunities here then to uh, further your careers in testing if you're curious about those those possible new opportunities. Good. Well, again, thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Russell, for joining. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed uh listening to episode two of the test fear roulette and we'll be back for some more roulette spinning soon thanks everyone bye 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 thank you to the guests and thank you for listening for more information on test fear check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the ministry of testing store music courtesy of zapsplat.com we'll see you for more roulette again soon